Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time, the march to WrestleMania begins once again as we cover the turning point of the new generation, Bret Hart's ultimate triumph, and two of the greatest matches in WWE history. It's WrestleMania 10. Kyush, what'd you think of this one? Man, I am, first of all, I am so excited for WrestleMania season in general. This is my favorite time of the year for our podcast where we're just going to run through them all. And we've finally gotten to the good WrestleManias. <laughs> And, like, this may be the first actually good WrestleMania. I mean, three was a spectacle, but it had, like, 50 matches on it, and only one of them was good. Yeah. I'm a big fan of WrestleMania eight, and I would contend that eight and this show are very similar in structure and that they both had two phenomenal matches and then, you know, kind of a forgettable main event that had a really great moment to cap off the show. Yeah. And, I mean, we both know that I'm – the only person in the world who truly loves WrestleMania 9. But yeah, WrestleMania 9 sucks. It was horrible, but that's what's beautiful about it. Oh, it'll always be special to me because it was the very first episode of this podcast. It's the only one that, like, literally, I was just supposed to be a guest on your first episode of a podcast that was not starring also me. I was too lazy to find other people to guest host. That's how I get everywhere in life. Just Woo! lazy in it in. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like we've covered the lead up to this very well because we've done like all the shows that led to this. We did yep. WrestleMania 9, we did King of the Ring 93, SummerSlam 93, Rumble 94, but we're going to go back through it anyway because that's what we do on this show. I mean, oh, yeah. the, the question facing the WWF at this point is, you know, where are we going? You know, what is this company? And most importantly, who's our top guy? Who's going to lead this company? into the new generation. They've really been trying to answer this question since Hogan, really since Warrior beat Hogan back in 90. It's been a question of who's taking over for Hogan. And th the need to replace Hogan has accelerated, starting in 92 with him taking some time away, 93 with him leaving entirely. And by this point in 94, he's pretty much persona non grata. He hasn't signed with WCW yet, but his name is not spoken on this show. I don't know if they even showed him. It felt like they totally ignored all of his accomplishments. I mean, it's so weird because isn't this the first one without Hogan? Yes. Yeah. First WrestleMania with no Hogan. He's basically headlined every WrestleMania before this. And when they're do like they do these packages throughout the show where they recap what happened at the previous WrestleManias, but they avoid showing Hogan which means like there's nothing to show from any of them. They show all of these moments and we'll go through those as the show goes on. And they're like all really weirdly presented. And it's like to tell the story of WrestleMania without Hulk Hogan is so fucking difficult. It leaves he's literally a been, hole. Yeah, he is WrestleMania. He's been at the center of the first nine WrestleManias. Even like four, he wasn't in the main event, but he still helped Savage win the title. He was as integral to that as Savage or DiBiase. And then nine, he wasn't supposed to be in the main event, but he somehow left as the world champion anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's bizarre. And it's not just that, but also all across the board, you can kind of see like the production's great on this show. Like it really is. But just, it's so weird to see, like, the low-level celebrities that they're getting. Like, it's so clear that this is the first WrestleMania that they're not, like, a household name at all. 
Yeah, they did land Burt Reynolds, but like other than that, not nearly the level of celebrities they previously had. The hair club for men guy is on this show, man. Yeah. Um, They're just not as cool as they used to be. They don't get cool again until like 98, 99. And they seem obsessed with this idea that if they just find the right guy to take Hogan's spot, they can recapture it. Like maybe they just don't realize how much it slipped or that it's just like a natural thing to have it slip. But like they seem to think that like, all right, well, finding that guy is the key. So they're obsessed with who is it. But they can't decide. Yeah. If they picked one guy and run with them, maybe they could have made that guy the guy. But because they're indecisive about it, none of these guys really have a chance to get over like that. I mean, it started with Bret Hart. They kneecapped him at WrestleMania 9 when he lost the title to Yoko. And then Hogan jumping in there in his place. And then him getting bounced into the mid card with that feud with Lawler for the rest of 93. For a moment, we thought they were going with Yokozuna, but Hogan cut his nuts off the year before this. And then it seemed like they were going with Lex Luger, but he couldn't get over. So they end up having to pull the plug on his push at this show. And Luger leaves this show absolutely buried. He's dead at the end of this. Oh, God, yeah. Like, he, like Yeah. Completely, him, completely dead. Even him putting over bread at the end is just oh. like an afterthought compared to like Savage doing it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's like, like get the fuck out of here, Lex. Nobody cares about you. Man. And like, they, they still try to protect him on this show, but you can't protect him from himself. No. No, I, he does nothing. He has his classic feud with Tatanka this summer. But I mean, that is the greatest feud of all time. Of course, but he's <laughs> finished. I mean, the show, the next WrestleMania, he's in the opening tag match against the Harris brothers. Woof. Yeah, he falls a long, long way from here. And so it's just... Like we we've covered in kind of thoroughly because we did the SummerSlam, we did the Royal Rumble. Like how, why exactly you wouldn't want to choose Lex, and like why they wound up choosing Brett instead. And I don't really blame them. But do you feel like even Brett is the right decision here? Who well, who I mean, I, I mean I would I would almost other. There is no one guy. No, I mean, I think the other the guy we'll probably get to that we wonder why they didn't push harder is Razor. Right. Is, I guess Sean kind of steals the show in that ladder match, but still, coming out of this, it feels like Razor is world champion material. Oh, God, yeah. and it, To the point where it's stunning that that's not what happens. And it just seems like it was never even considered that Razor Ramon could be in the main event. What did Razor Ramon do to Vince McMahon? I don't get it. Is it just that the character being, I don't know, whatever the vibe of the character is, he's not really a drug dealer, even though he's obviously inspired by Tony Montana. Right. But, I mean, he's his character is just like, he's a tough dude from the streets of Miami. But for what whatever reason, they did not see world champion in Razor. But he might have been the best thing they had at this point. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's something about that character that just doesn't seem Is like it too, the character's too fake. It might be some of that. It's it's some of it's not really a character for what they were trying to portray. Like Razor Ramon can't be the top guy of this promotion as constituted here where it's all just fucking cartoon characters, right? Yeah, even while Razor is, you know, kind of gimmicky and cartoony, but it's also kind of just a darker 
edgier character than they I think they're really comfortable putting on top at this point. Yeah, Razor feels like a precursor to the late nineties WWF. Yeah. Yeah. If Razor's around in the attitude era, he can absolutely be the top guy. Oh, yeah. You could have made him Steve Austin. Razor and Austin together would have been oh, fucking that's cool. magic. Yeah. So yeah, as we mentioned, you know, last year's WrestleMania ended with the debacle of Yokozuna beating Bret Hart to win the world title and then losing it to Hulk Hogan in an impromptu title defense just minutes later. I think we've agreed that was absolutely the worst possible thing they could have done. They either should have gone with Bret or should have gone with Yoko, but throwing the belt on Hogan like that was a disaster. I think I mentioned on the first show too, like I don't even mind the idea of going with Hogan. Like he's familiar. You're doing a European tour. I get it, but not like that. Like you gotta just, if you just want to be like, Oh, I'm sorry. Brett got hurt before the show. It's going to be Hogan. Now, at least that's a match. At least that's the match you're expecting to get. It's not just a fuck you to Brett. Right. I just, of all the paths they could have chosen, I think that was the worst because it made ever, even Hogan looked bad. Hogan looked like an asshole. Like, it's one of those, like, subtle Hulk Hogan is secretly a heel and was the whole time things that you can check off the list. And if that's a precursor to him putting over Brett for the title at SummerSlam, maybe that's workable, but that wasn't going to work for Hulk, brother. Knowing that that was at least partially their plan, I get it. That does help. Yeah, because if if Hulk puts over Brett at SummerSlam, that's massive. Yeah. But maybe, maybe Brett becomes like a real drawing top guy if that happens. Are they stupid enough to think that's really going to happen? That's the thing. Like Hulk is not going to do a job to Brett Hart. Like it's not going to happen. I mean, maybe they were just like, well, we got Piper to do it and Piper never did jobs. Maybe Hogan will do it. Yeah. Um, and what's the difference there? Just that Piper had a lot of respect for the Hart family. Piper yeah, I think that's what it mellowed is. with age. Like a fellow Canadian, he yeah. loved Stu Hart and that family. Like that's that's what it is. So King of the Ring 1993 was Hogan's send-off. Yokozuna beats him for the title after a camera explodes in Hogan's face. Yokozuna is the new champion. Bret Hart wins the King of the Ring tournament. Seems like we're heading for a Bret Yoko rematch. But they've got other plans. They go with All-American Lex Luger instead. And the sad tragedy of the Lex Express begins. I spent almost all of today that I wasn't actively at work, like going back and watching Lex Express segments. I listened to the Something to Wrestle episode about the Lex Express. Like I just wanted to put myself mentally in the place that I was as a small child watching the Lex Express and try to figure out I loved Lex Luger for that summer. Like this was when I started watching as a fan, like every week, this is the first pay-per-view I ever bought is this WrestleMania right here. Wow. And like, I loved Lex Luger and I can't, it's such a good idea. The Lex express. It's just Lex wasn't the guy. Well, and it's not like when we say Lex didn't get over, it's not like today where he would get shit on. Like, like like the crowd is chanting Luger sucks and booing him. They're just not cheering him that loudly. And like when he's toe to toe with Brett, Brett is a hundred times more over than he is. Right. But I mean, if they had kept going with Luger, he probably eventually would have gotten over enough. It's just, 
Vince couldn't convince himself to stay the course with Brett sitting right there. Yeah. I mean, as we mentioned at the Rumble, it was just so clear. Brett is so much better and Brett was so much more over. That was, you know, the big test was who is the crowd going to be behind? And it was 100% Brett. And for as much as people will go diehard and say that Vince McMahon and WB don't listen to the fans, when it comes to something like this, they've proven over time that they do, even to their own detriment. Like, let's think about the Randy Orton babyface turn, where they listen to the fans yeah. and they shouldn't have. Well, this and this was really the first time I feel like this happened where they did where like plans very much changed. Right. Like the plan was Luger is going to get the belt at WrestleMania. And it 100% changed because the fans were more into Brett. And like the way that they gave themselves an out all the way along. They were hedging. Yeah, because they like had this Brett Owen thing. Like they didn't have to do this. But yeah, in the back of their mind, they're just like, are we sure we're cool with Lex? And the answer was no. Yeah. They weren't all in on that. Like there's a reason there was no other option for WrestleMania when they were going to crown Steve Austin or John Cena or the other times they did this. Right. They left themselves an escape route here for a reason. And I don't think it was because of like, Lex is a shitty promo and a bad worker. Let's just be clear. But I don't think it was because of either of those things. And I don't even what really think that it was because that he didn't get over the way that they wanted, though that was certainly part of it. I think it was just because they looked at him and was just like, we just had Warrior. That thing went down the tubes because he was an asshole. Nobody liked him and he didn't love the business. And here's Lex and it's the same thing. Yeah. (sighs) So yeah, the Rumble saw Yokozuna retain the world title in a casket match against The Undertaker. That wrote The Undertaker out. He is not featured at this WrestleMania. He's taking time off uh, to heal injuries. Owen turned on Brett after their tag match against the Quebecers. That sets up a white-hot Owen versus Brett feud for this show. And Brett and Luger co-won the Rumble when they simultaneously eliminated each other. So that leaves us with two number one contenders for WrestleMania. Today, it would probably just be a triple threat match, but I don't think anybody in the WWF was thinking about a triple threat match Although, do you think that would have been cool if they had just done that? I mean, I think it would have made for a better match, wouldn't it? Certainly, than the two title matches that we got with Yoko. Yeah, just Um, having a Brett bump for both of them. And unfortunately, probably would have, I mean, then you would have had no reason to do the Brett Owen match would have been the issue. Yeah, that's a good point. Although if you just want to put Brett over, he can wrestle Owen in the opener. Just like be a man and be like, yeah, I'm going to wrestle Owen too. And you can do everything the same way. The other thing too is that this match was this show was severely lacking in star power. I mean, at this point, they have Brett, they have Yoko, they have Luger, and that's they got Savage on this show. And Randy Savage, goddamn it! But he's never doing anything. Yeah, he's never fucking doing anything. It drives me insane. So to have all of your guys wrestle multiple times, like I remember vividly that one of the selling points to me as a kid and convincing my dad and my friend's dad to buy this show was there's going to be three title matches, man. Yeah. Holy shit. He's going to defend the belt twice. Yeah. Without that, man. I mean, this card was thin, thin, thin to begin with. Like when we go through this show, there's a couple really good matches and then you've got, 
you know, your other two, your two world title matches, then the rest of the card is trash. Yeah, I mean, I think the world title matches and the ladder match account for like two hours of this show. And then like, it's just an hour of holy crap, how bad is this? Yeah, you wish that had been the only two hours of the show. So the order of the matches was determined by a coin toss on Raw. Luger won the toss, which gave him the first shot at Yokozuna. My question is, by the time they did that, that was only like a week or two after the Rumble. Had they already decided Brett was going to get the belt here? Because I think so. It, I guess, because otherwise, like the whole construction of this show is built around Brett is going to lose to Owen and then win the title, which is just, you know, perfectly sets up Owen as his first challenger. I, I got to tell like, I do think that that was completely the plan from that. I think at the Rumble, they were sure. Like, that, their path was set. Sounds right. I, I do wonder, and I kept thinking this as the show went on, is this show better if Lex beats Yokozuna and has to face Brett and Brett wins? Is it better? Well, I, I mean, why? Well, well, it would be a better match than we got from Brett and Yoko. I just it wonder does maybe muddy the waters a little bit in terms of Brett being a babyface, but the whole crowd was going to cheer Brett anyway. I mean, what should probably happen is Luger should probably turn heel after this show is what should happen if you're going to keep him relevant. Yeah, that's like, what I was thinking. Like maybe beating Yoko and winning the belt for like five minutes yeah. protects him more, gives him inspiration to turn heel, yes. and then you have something. Yeah, he loses to Brett, and like he acts cool about it first, but he can slow burn a heel turn. That's money to me. Like by SummerSlam, you've got a match, right? Yeah, and I think I can envision some really good whiny Lex Luger promos about how unfair it was that he had to defend the world title the same night he won it how nobody's ever had to do that before stuff like that and just it, it's one of those things that touches on reality where he could be yeah. like i deserve that title i worked for it i'm here i was put here to win that title and you took it from me you took my opportunity from me and then you know what i would do Brett wrestles twice at SummerSlam. He beats Owen, and then he wrestles Luger, and Luger's able to beat him because Brett's weakened. Absolutely. Heat. And, like, that's the thing is that you can have Brett Owen go through the whole summer to get there, and, like, it just makes sense, right? Yeah. Have Luger, like, beat Savage or something. Like, there, there's a path there to something. I think they had just totally given up on Luger at this point. Yeah. But By the time you leave this show, like – we don't really get Brett Owen like you think we're gonna. Like, I don't know where they're going after this. So there's this urban legend that Luger was going to win the belt here, but the night before he got drunk and bragged to a reporter and they changed the finish. As far as I can tell, this is 100% untrue. They had decided to go with Brett after the Rumble. It is the case that the New York Daily News reported a bunch of finishes for WrestleMania on the day of the show, including Luger winning the title and then losing it to Brett in the main event. But like a couple of the finishes were wrong. I think the reporter just got bad information. And I can imagine one of the scenarios they were kicking around was what we just talked about, that Luger will beat Yokozuna, but then Brett will beat Luger to win the title in the main event. Sure. And I mean, I, I, do, I manifestly do not believe 
that Lex Luger is the kind of person who goes to a bar, gets drunk, and talks to reporters about how he's going to win the belt. Like that. Who's that dumb? Not even also, Lex Luger. Lex Luger doesn't even like to talk to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> he's not going to the bars and getting drunk and talking to strangers. I don't know that Luger drinks. I mean, he probably doesn't. I, to look like that, I don't think you can drink. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to say, but I I've mean, heard this hilarious story about him being at the bar and having the bar, like paying a bartender to peel shrimp for him so he can eat them. That is the most amazing and most yes. Lex Luger story I've ever heard. I mean, you look at Lex Luger, like that guy's not taking in a lot of carbs. No, fuck no. So it had also made it in the dirt sheets that Luger was going to get the title because they did a misdirection segment on the TV taping before this WrestleMania. They did a segment where Cornette did an interview where he was holding the belt. Then Luger came out, chased Cornette off, and like Cornette dropped the title and Luger left with it. And then Vince gets on the mic and he's like, well, wouldn't it be great if we saw Lex Luger with the world title? And then Luger came out with the belt and it seemed like, oh, they're filming this for after WrestleMania, but this was just some kind of misdirection, whether it was for the fans in attendance, whether it was to work the dirt sheets, I don't quite know. I mean, that is pretty fit. There were a lot of things that hit the dirt sheets back in those days that were basically that, that were just like, oh, hey, somebody saw uh, an advanced screening of a taping and we saw this, so it must be happening. Yeah. It is a little weird to me that they did that they were tape that they t would tape TV for after WrestleMania before the show had happened. Now, I understand that like mostly it's just a bunch of squash matches. I still don't see what I mean. Maybe they needed the time to get the to actually be able to edit the shows to have them ready to air for the next Saturday. But it still feels weird to me to be taping TV for post WrestleMania before it's happened. Oh, yeah, it makes no sense, especially, I mean, it does make sense because business-wise, that's just what they do. But if there's anything that you don't want to have spoiled for you, it's yeah. the one money-making show of the year. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why you end up doing stuff like this fake-out segment. Um, so probably the hottest thing coming in is Brett and Owen. You know, this feud, of course, as we covered in the Rumble 94 episode, was pitched to Vince by Bruce Hart, Brett's scummy older brother who's always looking for a job. Um, pitched him this great storyline idea for Brothers Feud in, but then when they pitched it to Brett, Brett was like, we should just do this with Owen instead. Owen would be way better for this role. Thank God. Yeah. Bruce Hart is like 45 years old and boring and not a good wrestler, whereas Owen Hart is awesome. I mean, can you imagine this oh, storyline with Bruce? Burial. Does it even make it to WrestleMania? I don't think so. I have a hard time believing that that happens at WrestleMania. Man. So the other big match here is going to be the WWF's first ever televised ladder match for the Intercontinental title. Razor Ramon will defend against Shawn Michaels, who has his own Intercontinental title and claims to be the rightful Intercontinental champion because he didn't lose it in the ring. He was stripped of it in the fall. In storyline, this was because he had failed to defend it. In reality, he had failed a drug test and was negotiating, jumping to WCW. So they took him off TV and took the belt off of him. 
didn't he tell like Vince McMahon to go fuck himself during this period? I can believe that. He was really adamant that he was not on steroids. His claim was, look how fat I am, because he was going out eating and drinking with Nash every night. It is kind of great to see him during this period, because he doesn't so much get fat as just widen out. Yeah. It almost looks like you're seeing him in like a bad resolution TV set where he's just stretched out wide. Yeah, just a little blurry. Yeah. He was he was hitting both the bars and the Denny's hard with Nash. Definitely. <laughs> I'll get you eating those steak and eggs and home fries every day. Well, that's the thing. Like, his riding buddies at this point are Razor, Ramon, and Diesel. Like, dude, you got to get some shrimpy dudes in there. Yeah, yeah. He is not supposed to be eating with those guys. (laughs) So when Michaels eventually resolved his contract issues and came back, he continued to carry around his Intercontinental title and claimed to be the real champion. So we've got a perfect setup for the ladder matches. We hang both the belts above the ring. One guy is going to leave with both of them as the undisputed Intercontinental Champion. Now, it must be said, like this, ladder matches were not a thing at this point. Like that, That's sort of understood by a lot of people. But to the extent that a lot of the fans in attendance had never even heard of this idea and didn't even really seem to know what to make of this idea for at least like the first half of the match. That's the thing that I really noticed rewatching it is the extent to which the fans just don't seem to understand what's happening. For the Even when Sean is doing crazy shit, jumping off the ladder, they're not really popping like you'd think they are because they're just kind of stunned, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's there's not a lot of opportunities that you get to see like the first of a kind of match. Yeah especially one that goes on to become so, like a big deal. Like it had the same sort of feeling that like the first Hell in a Cell did where you're just like, man, this is something special and I have no idea what to make of it. Yeah. The, the ladder match had originated up in Stampede Wrestling. Bret Hart wrestled in several of them up there, Dynamite Kid, etc. I don't know if they actually did the belt hanging thing or if it was just like a match with a ladder in the ring, but Brett pitched the idea to Vince and then like him and Shawn Michaels did a tryout match at a house show in Portland, Maine in July, 1992. Um, This match was taped, but it didn't air on TV. Uh, You can find this on WWE network. It was released on one of the Coliseum videos. It sucks. It really does. It <laughs> blows. It's terrible. I'm Bret Hart amazed is not... that this convinced Vince that they should do this match, but it convinced him they should do it minus Bret Hart. I honestly think that this is an underrated thing and like how the Bret Hart Shawn Michaels relationship deteriorated. Yeah. Because they were super duper close. And not only does Shawn do the match that Bret spent years pitching, but he makes his name on this match. So I think there was part of Brett that always felt like, well, if I had gotten to do that shit, I would be the guy that everyone remembered forever for that. Don't you think it bothered Brett that him and Owen have like the best match in company history in the opener and they hold that title for all of like an hour until the ladder match? And not only that, but then he's got to follow it. Yeah. <laughs> With and if you think no sane person would care about that, you haven't read Bret Hart's book or listen to any interviews with him. He is exactly that petty. He is painfully obsessed with stealing the show on his, on any show that he's on. And I do feel like the professional jealousy of being the only two good workers in the entire company for five straight years, it's gotta be a thing, right? Like they pushed each other to one up each other. 
But on this night, which was supposed to be Brett's crowning night, Sean steals it. I yeah. think it, it, it does matter. So, and I think an early Vince Brett rift is Vince promised Brett if they ever did a ladder match on TV, he would be in it. And then he changed his mind, according to Brett's book. And I mean, that's that might very well be true. Though, as we know, Vince doesn't really promise stuff like that. So is that true? Is that what he thought was true? I don't know. I don't like taking Vince's side on stuff, but that doesn't really sound like Vince. Um, so Sean and Razor had ladder matches on the house shows on the way into this, which seems kind of crazy that they would be doing ladder matches on house shows, but I think they just had to try it out and like figure out how it worked and just get used to working with the ladder and doing the spots. Right. I would I'm sure they didn't do the full match. I'm sure it was like they did one of the big spots each night to test it out. Oh no. I mean, can you imagine like taking those bumps oh every single time? Sean doesn't wrestle for six months after this. I don't know if he got hurt in the match or if he just needed time off from other stuff. But, yeah, Sean is managing Diesel for the next six months after this. Yeah, absolutely. So, as we touched on, Hulk Hogan is not part of this WrestleMania. Doesn't seem like there was any consideration to bringing him in. He's negotiating with WCW at this point. I think they know he's gone. Yeah, and I, I don't know that they really miss him. Like, they probably think, like, it's run its course, right? Like, there's not a lot of milk left drained from that. <sighs> don't you think people were expecting him to be the referee in the main event? I think that they definitely wanted people to think that. I mean, just there's a big mystery spot at WrestleMania. Hogan's got the history with Yokozuna. And wouldn't it be kind of be kind of perfect for him to be the guy raising Brett's arm there? I mean, that's what should have happened. Yes. In an <laughs> ideal world, that is what would have happened. And it would have been a great WrestleMania send-off for the Hulkster. I remember when I was a kid, I was sure it was going to be Warrior because I did not <laughs> I did not understand how politics worked. Oh god, Warrior in a referee shirt. I'm sure he wouldn't have worn he would have just worn like referee tights. Yeah. <laughs> just like little spandex tights. I did love Perfect's referee gear where he's got the striped pants, too. That just looks like a man who is really insecure about being fat. <laughs> he just vertical stripes from head to toe. Um, kind of other notes. This is the first time they do a full kind of proper fan fest. The precursor to Access. They have finally outgrown the bacon, biceps, and bagels brunch. But man, what... So, I'm so sad that we missed that name. I would have loved to have attended a Bacon Biceps and Bagels brunch. One of these years, maybe they'll bring it back and you can like eat waffles with Roman Reigns. That's my dream. I know. That's <laughs> I mean, all I've ever wanted. That's the end of my dream, but let's not get into that. <sighs> um, also, it feels like they've really upped the production value, like lots more cameras pyro i don't know if it's the difference of just like they were outdoors the previous years so they couldn't do as much with the production but they've got light in for the entrances now feels like they've really upped their production oh yeah i mean if you compare this to like eight which is the hoosier dome like Ugh. it's night and day like, like production- it feels like a different decade instead of two years later i mean that one just looks like somebody just like filmed a used car show from like 
the same camera angle the entire time. And here, there's dynamic camera angles. They're zooming in and out. They've made this, the arena look really great. Like, it's the first time the show has really looked big and special since the Ho the early Hogan days, really. Definitely. So, you know, of course, for the 10th anniversary of WrestleMania, we've got to go back to the Garden, um, as they would do again at 20. And now they'll never do the Garden again for WrestleMania. Just different era they've got to run stadiums now oh yeah like you're literally throwing money in the garbage if you do it anywhere outside of a stadium yeah i do kind of wish they had done wrestlemania 30 in new york instead of 29 even if it's out at the stadium in new jersey yeah just it, new york's just important like that and they had had yeah. that tradition like it's it's kind of sucks that they didn't um sellout crowd eighteen thousand and sixty five in attendance Strong gate of $960,000. Uh, front row tickets were $300, which is a new high for any wrestling show anywhere in the world, I would suspect. Oh, God, yeah. Um, 300 bucks. A lot of them, I don't know. What, what do front row seats at Mania go for now? 1500 bucks, two grand? Oh, two grand, yeah. They did for last year. I looked into it. Woo! Um, they also had people in the theater... Uh, like the you know the attached theater to the garden watching it on closed circuit screens. Uh, we will get into later how they should have integrated that into the Falls Count Anywhere match. God, yes. Can't believe they didn't do that. A lot of bad decisions made in that match. That match happening in the first place was a bad decision. Now we're going to get into how that was Randy Savage's bad decision personally. <laughs> Worst decision he ever made, I hope. Fuck yeah. Buy rate of 1.68 for approximately 420,000 buys. No real change from about 430,000 the year before. I don't know. Do you think they were happy with that number? It's okay. I, I mean, to pull that with, yeah, but to do that without Hogan and yeah. as limited the star power was, I'm sure they were psyched. It's a bit of a success. Yeah. I'm sure they used that as evidence that, like, all right, well, maybe Brett is a draw. Like, he, he's at least as much of one as Hogan is. Yeah. Um, dark match the heavenly bodies of Dr. Tom Pritchard and Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey defeated the Bushwhackers in seven minutes we were spared that thank you <laughs> um, to open the show we start with a quick video package um, celebrating the first Wrestlemania just the celebrities no Hogan no other wrestlers there was no wrestling on this card only celebrities like, if you pushed me to name a match on WrestleMania 1, which we have done for this podcast, which I have watched multiple times, other than the main event, I don't know that I could do it. Uh, you got the body slam challenge. I remember that one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, it was, it was a wretched show. There's not much a, to do but the celebrities. Thin, thin card. Yeah. And Vince welcomes us to the show in his classic gravel voice. I believe this is the first show where they went to the new WrestleMania theme, the dun 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 Not as good as the old one. No, and I only remember that theme as being Linda McMahon's yes. theme. Yeah. So it's super weird that it's the WrestleMania theme to me now. I, the only way that can have happened is like Linda was going to come out that night and they were like, oh shit, we don't have entrance music for her. And like that was just what they could pull up from the catalog. Yeah. What's some stock WWE music? Uh, uh, oh, yeah. This is. 
Da, na, 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 da, da. Um, then Little Richard performs America the Beautiful. And we are introduced to our commentating team for tonight, Vince McMahon and Jerry the King Lawler. Fuck. Is this the first major show that Lawler does? Like as like the official guy, as the official commentator? He's been calling Raw, but I don't think he called any of the pay-per-views before this because he had wrestled on all of them or gone away because he had been accused of raping a young girl. Yeah, that whole thing. Yeah. So this is his triumphant return from that. Triumphant redemption return. Yay. Also note, they've got Jim Ross on the payroll, and he's not on this show. He's nowhere to be found. Gorilla Monsoon's on the payroll. He's doing these stupid clips. I Yeah, I would have much preferred JR and Gorilla calling this. I mean, literally... What was it like uh, the Royal Rumble where they're doing like the radio broadcast? Yes. Yeah, and it's so much um, better. Radio WWF. Jim Ross and Gorilla Monsoon are a really interesting team of commentators. Solid pair. And I think they would have done a really good job putting over this new generation and this more athletic presentation they were going for. It's really a shame that the voice of the Bret Hart era is Vince McMahon and not Jim Ross. Because Jim Ross was born to call Bret Hart matches. So much more equipped to call that kind of wrestling. It's what he had done in the NWA. Yeah. And by the time, and we've kind of talked about how if you're going to make Bret Hart the guy, a more NWA style of broadcast is probably more appropriate. And like the guy is right there. Yep. And by the time he gets into the booth and gets comfortable and is allowed to be himself, Bret's gone. Too Southern. Yeah. Um, I love the look of this show. It's really cool and sleek. Uh, the ring ropes are black and gold. The guardrails are gold. Black mats on the floor. Um, this is the look they should have stuck with. The year after this, they go back to the red, white, and blue ropes. And I feel like that was very dated by the mid-90s. God, yeah. It just looks like some 70s garbage. Yeah. Um, because it's Madison Square Garden, there's no ramp. The camera... Hard camera faces the entrance. We've got the big black doors with a big gold X on it. I think this is one of the most memorable kind of sets from this period for me. Oh, man. And when, like, the 10 pulls apart into, Love like, it. different pieces. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah. And then we get a classic intro as the ring announcer announces... Our opening contest, our first competitor, hails from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And the crowd pops in anticipation of Brett, but then it turns out to be Owen. What a moment. <laughs> Owen, looking like a complete dick here as he's coming out, breaks his sunglasses rather than hand them to a fan. Owen is on like a whole other level here. He is such a petulant asshole. There are other heels on this show, and most of them are still doing like 80s shtick heel stuff. Owen's like a whole other kind of heel here. Like something that just wasn't in the WWE. Like a truly hateable individual. Like there just weren't that many heels like that around at this point. Yeah, like not a cartoon villain. Just like the kind of dickhead you would know in the real world. Like the closest thing I can compare it to is like when Larry Zabisco turned on Bruno San Martino, 
And he was just like that little shithead. Yeah. How dare he disrespect Bruno? And people are like actually trying to turn his car over when he yeah. parks the places. <laughs> it's just that kind of heat. Like, fuck you, you piece of shit. Um, Brett storms to the ring. He's totally dialed in, gets a huge pop. Um, they lock up and break clean, and Owen celebrates. This cracks me up every time I see this. Match. Every fucking time. What a genius. Um, Owen gets Brett in a waist lock. Brett sends him to the floor with a leverage move. Owen gets pissed off, slaps Brett across the face. They do a lot of chain wrestling, and we see that Owen is really Brett's equal. He's able to hang with him, although he does resort to pulling the hair a few times. I think it's really, really, really important that they go out of their way to establish that Owen is his equal. Yeah. Because otherwise, there's really no heat on this match, because Owen's a mid-carder, barely. He's barely even a mid-carder. He's never done anything in the WWF before this. He had that shit team with Nightheart is all he's done. Yeah, but literally, like, this match makes him from start to finish. Um, Owen pulls Brett's hair to get him down. Brett kips up, starts out working on Owen's left arm. Owen scores with a spinning heel kick and starts working Brett's back with a backbreaker and a camel clutch. Um, Owen gets whipped to the corner. He jumps up on the second rope. Comes off with a crossbody, but Brett rolls through with a two count. Just relentless pace here. This match does not slow down. Yeah, I can't. You mentioned that this might be the best match in WWE history. And, like, it's certainly, like, completely out of left field compared to everything else on any show near it. Like, in terms of pace, in terms of technical wrestling, like, it's crazy. One of the only, I mean, I can think of Savage and Steamboat. Yeah. And... The the um the match Brett and Perfect had at King of the Ring the year before this. It's it's a short list. Brett and Bulldog is up there too, but that match was more deliberately paced, and that had the advantage of the huge crowd heat. Wembley. I've certainly never seen any like chain wrestling like this, aside from maybe Savage and Steamboat. Yeah. And that was very much the 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 original conception of this match was much more modeled on. Savage and Steamboat with a bunch of pinfall reversals. And they tried it on the house shows and wasn't getting the reaction they wanted. So they sat down with Stu and they kind of worked out some more basic psychology of Brett hurting his knee and building the drama around that that resulted in the match we would get here. And thank goodness that they did that because that winds up being like the most important part to this. Owen scores with a big German suplex for a two count. Um, then they do a sequence where Brett runs the ropes. Owen gets him with a pump handle, and it looks for a second like he's going to hit that um, sit-down pile driver he crippled Steve Austin with, but it just ends up being a normal tombstone, thankfully. Thankfully. Uh, he comes off the top rope with a diving headbutt, but Brett rolls out of the way. Brett then hurts, hits an inverted atomic drop, Russian leg sweep, backbreaker, diving elbow. He's rolling. Looks like he's about to lock on the sharpshooter and put this thing away, but Owen turns the tide with an inseguri. He goes for the sharpshooter. Brett blocks it. Brett turns it into his own sharpshooter, but Owen slips out of the hold and goes to the floor. Brett doesn't let up, comes out with a plancha. He connects, but when he comes up, he's limping and holding his knee. He, the way Brett sells legs is just like, you should take a class on it. He's so good. He is the best at it. 
It just looks like he's in torturous pain the entire time. Owen immediately targets the knee. He grapevines Brett's leg around the ring post, hits a dragon screw, locks on the figure four. Brett eventually is able to roll it over. He pops up and hits an insiguri, then a bulldog from Brett and a pile driver. Brett with a huge superplex takes him forever to make the cover. And when he does, it's only one arm and Owen's able to get out at two. Brett gets a sleeper. Owen escapes with a low blow. Um, Owen locks Brett in the sharpshooter. Brett powers out, turns it into his own sharpshooter, but Owen makes it to the ropes. Owen charges Brett in the corner. Brett gets his boots up. He goes for a victory roll, but Owen catches him kind of mid-combination, sits down. Brett's shoulders are pinned on the mat, and he's got all of Owen's body weight directly on top of him. No way he can kick out. That's the one, two, three, and Owen pulls the upset of all time here. And the best part of this entire match for me is Owen Hart's surprise at having beaten Brett. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's just genius. I think, like, when I go through this match, like, it's genius from start to finish. They're so good. And one of the best things about it is, like, they, they are like a mirror of each other. Is like they they basically use the same moves throughout yeah. the entire match. Like they only have like the the same move set. They come from the same place. They're wearing like inversions of the same outfit. Like they're just Owen's just a dark mirror of Brett, and yeah. he gets the better of him. Owen's more athletic, but Brett's more experienced. It kind of cancels itself out. Like it just it works so perfectly, and it gets Owen over so strongly because it shows that as good as Brett is. Owen's just as good, if not better. And that what a quick way to get somebody over, you know? Yeah. I mean, Owen is made from this. Like the rest of Owen's career is based around this victory on yes. this night. And arguably he should have gone much, much further, much quicker because of this. There's a decent argument he should have won the world title later this year. I mean, at the very least, like gotten a really high profile title match. He would have been better with the title than Backlund was. That is not up for debate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if um, somebody's got to do a 30-second job in the garden, it should be Owen oh, Hart. God, that would have been amazing, actually. The shit-talking Owen comes up against Diesel. and <laughs> He just like, gets spiked with a jackknife. That would have been so satisfying. <laughs> so this is kind of like now a standard WWE booking trope that Right before somebody's going to get the title, they're going to get beat by somebody to set that person up as a challenger. Not normally a huge fan of it, but I think this was a very good use of it. God, yeah. Especially since it's in the same night. So it's yeah. not like he's like, Brett doesn't lose any heat from losing this match at all. And in fact, like the way it happens is sort of like anybody can get caught on the right day kind of thing. And then Brett wins the title later. So all it does is put Owen on Brett's level, and then Brett is stays on the level he was already at. If not, goes higher. Yeah. I mean, Brett has already been the champion. I think they've already kind of missed their opportunity to make him a next-level star at this point. So here they set up a really hot feud between Brett and Owen for the title. Yeah, it's really good. 
Um, in the hallway, Todd Pettengill interviews Brett, interviews Owen. Owen says there's no way Brett can win the title after what Owen just did to him. And the subtle thing I love about this promo is how Owen keeps glancing at the curtain to see if Brett is coming back. Yes, I love that. And he hauls ass out of there when he's done. And like the weird piece of spit that he has on his mouth, like from the end of the match all the way through this promo, that's so distracting the whole time. Ah, I wish that I feel like Gene Oakland would have wiped it off his mouth. <laughs> oh, thank God Gene was not around for this next segment. Oh my God. Bill Dunn introduces the president of the hair club for men. And then he introduces Howard Finkel, who is wearing a toupee. That's the whole joke. And like, why? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, don't I think know. this is one of those things. Is this somebody they think is a celebrity? I feel like everybody, well, like they were, the commercials were on a lot at the time, but no, this guy isn't a celebrity. I feel like sometimes, despite the fact that they always say that he doesn't, Vince does stuff just for Vince. And I feel like Vince thought it would be hilarious to yes. put his toupee on Howard Finkel. Oh yeah, this is this is a rib on the Fink. Yeah, this is just for the guys in the back. Yeah. Next up, we've got a mixed tag match in which Bam Bam Bigelow and Luna Vachon take on Doink and Dink. Hey Steve, let me ask you a question. What the fuck is Bam Bam Bigelow doing in this? God, I. Bam Bam Bigelow. How about Bam Bam versus Randy Savage? That sounds good. Hey, that sounds great. Like what? Man. At a time when you have no stars, where you're working overtime to come up with anybody with any sort of credibility, you're fucking having Bam Bam do this? It's bullshit. It just doesn't make any sense. And he's against the shitty version of Doink. It's, Matt, it's not Matt Bourne anymore. It's not even fun, Doink. And like... Dink, this is all right. Look, to have an intergender match, sort of, where the woman can only fight the midget wrestler. Oh, I'm not even is... sure is that more offensive for it. Like, who, yeah, again, is that more offensive to women or small people? It's fucking ridiculous either way. Like, this match is trash. Like, there's just no way around. Bam Bam looks like he wishes he weren't here. Yeah. Um, Dink at one point goes for an axe handle from the top rope, which is an insane jump for somebody that size. That's like a regular size person jumping 20 feet, right? Yeah, I remember seeing like every time that like Hornswoggle would do the tadpole splash, I'd be like, Jesus fuck, that's high up for you. Uh, Luna misses a splash from the top rope and Bam Bam and Doink tag in. Dink continues to evade Luna and Bam Bam. Doink goes for a sunset flip. Bam Bam counters by sitting down on him. Uh, jumping DDT from Doink. He goes to the top rope. Misses a leg drop. Uh, cross body from Bam Bam gets two. He hits two headbutts, then a diving headbutt from the top rope for the win. A dumb concept, but I do feel like they worked hard. I mean, they did work hard. Luna brings her Luna game like she always does. It's just... I couldn't get past seeing Bam Bam in the corner and be like, he main events the next WrestleMania, guys. Yeah. And, like, they expect fans to be super into that after this is what – he doesn't do anything more interesting than this for the rest of the year either. Nothing's jumping out at me. No. 
And then they just throw them in the main event and expect people to buy it, and nobody does. Yeah, of all the people they wasted, Bam Bam Bigelow's pretty high on that list. Yeah, people never really list him as like the big yeah. missed opportunities, but like he should have been a top heel for so they, long. They had so little talent at this point. How could they not give him a better push? And like it, it always drives me crazy. And I know that this is such a semantics thing, but they call him the beast from the east. And Yokozuna's on the roster. And how are they not a team, guys? Oh, that would have been a devastating tag team. Right? <sighs> After the match, Luna body slams Dink, and Bam Bam tries to splash him, but Dink moves. Yeah. Except, like, he kind of doesn't. I couldn't tell if Dink was supposed to be missed entirely by both of them, because, like, Luna kind of squashes him. And, like, Bam Bam kind of checks on him afterwards in a weird way. <sighs> I think Bam Bam was worried that they killed him. <laughs> then Hail to the Chief plays, and they show a Bill Clinton impersonator in the crowd. This is they the were... most wretched segment. And oh, they, they do it three times. They keep coming back. The guy's not even a good impersonator. He doesn't look like Bill Clinton at all. He doesn't really even sound like him either. Like, if you're going to do it where, like, you just show them from far off, like they do it first, like, oh, hey, that, that might very well be the president. Like, if you're going to do it tongue-in-cheek, okay, whatever. But they really want you to think it's him. And, like, that sucks. This was really lame. Come on, man. I, I, I try to go along with so much, and I'm trying to be so positive, and then you give me a Bill Clinton impersonator chatting it up with wrestlers like it's real, and I'm like, come on, man. Then we get a Falls Count Anywhere match between Randy Savage and Crush. Um, at least Savage is on the card this year. He, they left, he was doing commentary at WrestleMania 9. Right. I mean, let's talk about the genesis of this because it's been suggested that Randy Savage basically came out of retirement to put over Crush. And like that, that's something he really wanted is he thought Crush was the next big guy or something. They were friends. I can believe that. It's just Crush sucks. He's he's big guy and that's about it. As a Hawaiian person, you know that I wish there were good Hawaiian wrestlers. Yeah, there's there's an odd lack of them. Yeah, there are two fake ones on this show. <laughs> um, but like Crush is the shits, and like the things you could be doing with Savage here, having him face Bam Bam, having him face Razor, like this whole time period. Sean, Sean, yeah. and yet all he does, we don't even get Savage versus Brett. Nope, that um. That definitely could have been the main event of this WrestleMania. If you're going to crown Brett, Savage would have been a great guy to do it. The last guy left who can crown someone. And yet they seem to think that he's just a washed up old asshole to put the stick in the mid card. And I'd like to remind you that AJ Styles now is older than Randy Savage was here. Yeah, it's just, I don't know what it was. Vince is just very committed to the idea of we need to go with young guys. Is Savage that much older than Brett is? I don't God. think they're that far apart in age. I got to look that up because that... I'm looking this up now. pissed me off if it were true. Savage born in 52. Brett born in 57. No, five years. I, that's, I mean, that's something. But, like, 
not that big of a gap. Savage, so Savage is born 52, so he's 42 here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he had he went to WCW and showed he still had it. Had a big yeah. hot run in WCW after this. He's still having good matches like five years after this. Yeah. And man, like, what are you doing? They were just really dumb. There was just so, you know, it's just one of those mysteries I don't think is ever going to be solved is what happened with Randy Savage in these last couple of years in the WWF? Like, what was the deal with his feud with Vince? Why did he leave the company in such an ugly way? And why did he never come back? You know, we're never really going to get those answers. What? caused Vince to lose faith in him because it really seems like that is what happened. It's just, again, it's crazy that at a time where they have so little talent, they have this huge legend who can still wrestle, who's still over and they just don't really use him. Man. It's weird. Yep. So the rules of this match are really dumb. Um, <laughs> You can only pin your opponent outside the ring, and after you pin them, they have 60 seconds to return to the ring. If they do make it back to the ring, then the match will continue. They really outthought themselves on this one. Now, did they explain that thoroughly before the match started? Because admittedly, I wasn't paying the closest attention, but when the first pinfall happens, I thought that was the end of the match. <laughs> yeah, when Crush pins Savage like a minute into the match. And the crowd did too. The crowd like went silent. Like, yeah. oh, what the fuck happened? Yeah, I doesn't feel like this was adequately explained. No. It just what a stupid set. Just let it be one fall to a finish. Like this is the same with like really bad, poorly paced last man standing matches. Yeah. We're like, all right. They got a pin, and now oh, we're just going to wait like, yeah. minutes to see if something happens. Um, Crush is managed by Mr. Fuji. Savage attacks Crush in the aisle. Crush quickly hits an inverted atomic drop, a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker, and then a gorilla press onto the guardrail to get the pin. That means Savage has one minute to return to the ring. And one minute is so long. It's forever. I mean, this match is only, I don't know, 10 minutes long. And we spend how much of it on these segments? Yeah. And, like, when it's Savage, at least the crowd is kind of like, come on, Savage, get in there. But when it's Crush trying to get in, they don't care. They're like, cool, just stay down. It's fine. Fuji hits Savage with his Japanese flag, but Savage still manages to make it back to the ring. Savage comes back with a scoop slam, the flying elbow. Um... Savage throws Crush to the floor to pin him. I guess there's no point to pinning someone in the ring. I guess the match would just continue. Yeah, I guess you're right. Um, Fuji helps Crush get back into the ring. They then fight out into the crowd. Uh, Crush goes for a pile driver on the floor. Savage reverses into a backdrop. They fight backstage. Savage pins Crush and then ties him up in wires to stop him from getting back to the ring. Isn't the missed opportunity here, assuming they could do this, I don't know exactly where the theater is in relation to the rest of the garden, but how awesome would it have been for the fans in the theater if this match had gone into the theater? Oh, yeah. Like, you go into the theater, he beats him down, then Savage races back to the ring, and fucking Crush just can't get back there in time. Like he's Also, 
speed. Am I misunderstanding the rules? Does Savage have to get back to the ring after he pins Crush to win? I don't think he does, but if that's the case, why doesn't he just keep whooping his ass? <laughs> I don't know. I Yeah, what's preventing the guy from pinning him and then just beating the shit out of him for like a minute straight? And then he can't like the obvious thing to do. Yeah. But anyway, Savage wins. Not a very good match. Oh, no. And then he spends all that time trying to like tie him. So he's like hogtied in the air. And just like the second. Oh, yeah, that, like, gonna oh, get him. Oh, yeah. He falls down head first yep. on the ground. <laughs> well, <laughs> I tried. Uh, then Todd Pentengill interviews the Clinton impersonator. Um, uh, IRS is sitting behind him, and IRS thanks Clinton for raising taxes. Kids, being an adult is realizing that you're sort of on the side of IRS about some stuff. That's adulthood for you. And they show highlights of the fan fest. And then Savage goes into the theater to celebrate with the fans. I mean, that's since a cool he surprise. That, since he does that anyway, it kind of doesn't make <laughs> sense. Yeah. Um, then for the women's championship, we've got Alundra Blaze versus Leilani Kai. Do you remember that Leilani Kai wrestled Wendy Richter at the first WrestleMania? How that, random is this? That's nuts. She doesn't even look like, I mean, she looks totally different at this point. Oh, God. Like, she's been through her whole career in between. <laughs> like, a couple things about this match. First of all, Leilani Kai, despite her name, is just some white chick from Florida. Yeah. That's that Japanese. Well, literally what happened was she went to uh, Mula's school, and Mula was like, you look a little bit Hawaiian, and just named her a Hawaiian name. <laughs> Sounds right. Cool, I guess. I hope that was the worst thing Mula did to her. Agreed. Completely agreed. Mula's a monster. Yeah. Second of all, Alundra Blaze is so good to be saddled with this crap. Like, it just, they have a star for their women's division, and like, they just are incapable of bringing in anyone for her to work with. Like, literally, a couple years ago, I found a list that I made as a little kid of like my top 10 favorite <laughs> WWE wrestlers when I was like 11 years old, and she was like number two. After like Razor, she's pretty awesome. She's awesome. She she's has an entrance with sparklers here. She's doing like high flying shit that really even the guys aren't really doing. But like here, she has to work with Leilani Kai, who three times in a row does an offensive maneuver that just spikes Alundra Blaze directly on the back of her neck. It's like, what are you doing? King says of Blaze. That's a million-dollar body with a 10-cent face. Fuck yeah. off, Lawler. He is one to talk. Fucking Burger King. <laughs> Blaze wins in three minutes with a German suplex. She deserves so much better. Yeah. Next. Yep. Tag team title match. The Quebecers defend against men on a mission. Okay. We have never had the opportunity to really talk about men on a mission. We haven't, have we? What a this shame. is among the most wretched acts in the history of wrestling. <laughs> I think the backstory is Oscar was just like a street performer Vince met somewhere and like Vince fell in love with him. 
I think it's been suggested that literally Vince did not know what hip hop was he until he saw did. this street performer doing it. And he was like, wow, <laughs> that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Well, it's amazing. No one's ever done this before. We better sign this guy before somebody else gets him. <laughs> oh, Mabel and Moe. And like <sighs> Mo or Oscar is the worst rapper of all time. It doesn't even make sense. Like, first of all, their entire gimmick and their rap song is literally a ripoff of an actual popular rap song, which I don't even know how they got away with that. Second of all, by by a rap group named Tag Team, which you think they could just have gotten them. It's not like they were doing that much at the time. And like, oh, and Mabel and Mo look like assholes. <laughs> Their attire is ridiculous. Mabel with like his suspenders. Like, let me paint you a picture of Mabel. All right. This motherfucker walks down to the ring wearing a garbage bag that is like tied around his ankle. So it just poofs out. It's like hammer pants, but you don't want to let him escape. So, and that's attached to like some sort of big leotard thing that's like gold and goes down to his arms and doesn't have tassels so much as it has like shredded pieces of fabric attached to it. And across his chest, emblazoned in blue, up going against the tacky gold, is just the words, whoop, there it is. <laughs> they pushed this guy to the title scene. Yeah, he's so big. But he's not impressively big. He's just big, you know? He's got to be six, six, and four. 450 pounds he's enormous here's the thing though like there are guys who are huge and like they look awesome like yokozuna looks awesome yeah mabel looks stupid really <laughs> like i don't does. know what it is, but like even as like viscera as big daddy v like he's not he just looks like a really big dude he doesn't look awesome to me He's also, we got to do an age check here. I think he was like 23 or something here. Yeah. And like clearly had not been spending a couple years in wrestling school before this. Like somebody 71, 23 years old. That's, That's crazy. crazy. Like he's not ready. Come on. No, he's, he's in the main event of SummerSlam against Diesel the year after this. And like who's supposed to be the leader in that match? Diesel? <laughs> he fucks Nash up. He does this stupid ass move where he just like full force sits down on his spine and like nearly cripples him. I mean, we're we're obviously going to cover that show at some point. And I can't <laughs> wait. It is to, our destiny. Can't wait to take a dump on it. On the other side of the ring, we've got the Quebecers managed by Johnny Polo, aka Raven, a man of leisure. The man of leisure. I like the Quebecers. I like John The Quebecers are the tag team division at this point. There is no other part of it. There's a hot tag to Mabel that doesn't really get a pop. It's a double suplex on Mabel. Um, the, the Quebecers end up just taking a walk and getting counted out after a couple minutes. It's not a very good match. From like a seven-minute match ending in a count-out for the titles at WrestleMania. And then men on a mission celebrate with the titles like assholes, even though they, they didn't win them. 
It literally made me think, like, wait, did they win? And I just missed like a whole 30 seconds of this match. I went back and watched it again, and no, no, they just they're just jumping up and down with the belts, and then they leave them in the ring. Celebrities for the title match. Rhonda Shear is the timekeeper. Donnie Wahlberg is the ring announcer. Who is Rhonda Shear? Good question. I was hoping you knew. Got to Google that one. They said she was the host of something called Up All Night on USA, which makes me think that USA made them put her on this show. Yeah, that is in the first line of her Wikipedia page. Okay. And Donnie Wahlberg, who is a couple years removed from New Kids on the Block. Yeah. And it's just, like, if you were to paint a picture of an R&B white guy from the 90s, this is the douchebag you would paint. <laughs> He's got one of those, like, pencil-thin goatees. So we've got surprise guest referees for both the title matches, and the guest referee for this match is Mr. Perfect. Good surprise. Yeah, and like a prison jumpsuit with stripes from top to bottom. Yes, I love the striped pants. So good. And like, this is a really good idea to have these special guest referees because it gives something extra to these matches that kind of need it. King complains about Perfect being the referee, which feels like being too insistent about like face heel roles. Like, it's good for Yoko that it's perfect because him and Luger have feuded before. They right. wrestled at the previous WrestleMania. Which, like, we're conveniently ignoring because we're pretending that Perfect's a babyface, but Perfect's one of those guys that just only fakes being a babyface yeah. and then turns heel, like, once a year. He's never really a face. No. Um, Perfect's been gone since November, and I don't really know why. I assume he was having back problems. That's kind of the story of his later career. I don't know if it was that or if he was again trying to just Lloyds of London his way out of the business and couldn't do it. Uh, so it's time for our first WWF championship match as Yokozuna defends against Lex Luger. Whoever emerges as champion will face Bret Hart in the main event for the title. Yeah. <laughs> Yoko is managed by Mr. Fuji and Jim Cornette. Luger comes out to not much of a pop. It may be cause maybe people didn't recognize it was him coming out because this was uh, the debut of new music for him. Seems like a very weird place to debut new music for somebody is at the event that's supposed to be the blow off for him, yeah, right? They would they would not do that today. No, never. Uh, Luger hits a cross body off the top rope, which is probably the highlight of the match. He goes for a slam, but can't get Yoko up. Yoko sits down on a really, really long chin lock. At this point, Vince calls Yoko a master of the martial arts. That, sure, yeah. Master of the martial arts is a good way to put it, I guess. Yoko sits in a nerve hold for several minutes. This is an incredible incredibly boring match like to the extent where like the it's like kevin dunn in the truck is like all right uh, we got to do something they start like zooming in real close and zooming out real far into the crowd yeah. like going to different camera they're trying to create like the illusion that something's actually happening and it's not working but they're trying yoko shuts down a luger comeback with a belly-to-belly -belly suplex 
Luger finally fires up, makes his comeback, slams Yoko, hits the bionic forearm. Cornette gets on the apron. Luger drags him in and beats him up. He also roughs up Fuji. Luger covers Yoko, but Perfect doesn't count. Luger shoves Perfect, who disqualifies Luger and calls for the bell. Choke. Man. Lex Luger, ladies and gentlemen. Two shots. Blew them both. Yeesh. (sighs) Goodbye, Lex. And, like, the degree that Perfect goes to to not count the three is my favorite part of this match. Because, like, it's not one time. Like, he goes over and he's like, oh, is Cornette going on? And Lex is like, hey, man, you got to count the three. And then he steps over the pinfall to check out the other guy. And I'm like, yep, they want to make sure we know that this is not an accident. The only thing missing was Shane McMahon double birds. Oh, my God, that would have been so great. Uh, Pettengill interviews Perfect backstage. He explains he DQ'd Luger for putting his hands on the official. Luger comes back and him and Perfect get into it. Uh, the planned feud between the two never really materialized because Perfect's back just wasn't in condition for him to wrestle. That's another one of those things during this time that like, if Perfect just could have wrestled, yeah. it would have meant so much. He, he probably would have gotten the title at some point. Oh, sure. Um, Harvey Whippleman insists on doing the introduction for his client, Adam Baum. He berates Finkel, leading to a scuffle between them. Adam Baum comes out to defend his manager. Earthquake shows up and jumps him from behind. And then we have Earthquake versus Adam Baum. This was going to be Ludwig Borga versus Earthquake, but Borga got hurt, thankfully. Quake wins with the butt splash in 30 seconds. I I don't know if this was always going to be this short or if the show was running long. I'm so excited that it was this short. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that's easily the best case scenario for all of us. Then Pettengill interviews Yokozuna and Cornette, and it's ladder match time. We've got Razor Ramon defending against Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental Championship. Fuck yes. Um, they start out with an athletic exchange that ends with a choke slam from Razor. Sean throws Razor to the floor where Diesel takes a cheap shot. And then the referee ejects Diesel after, I don't know, we're maybe two minutes into the match at this point. I was very disappointed to see Diesel go out so fast, though I get that they had to make this just between those two. Like they couldn't, there wouldn't have been any reason for Razor to be able to win if Diesel's out there the whole time. <laughs> Did enjoy Diesel yelling, did you see something? At the referee over and over. He sounded so much more like Jersey than I've ever heard him sound before. Did. Kevin Nash is, in fact, from Detroit. Yeah, like he really tapped into some of that Detroit right there. Um, Razor goes for the Razor's Edge, but he gets backdropped over the top rope out onto the concrete. Sean goes for the ladder, which gives Razor time to recover. Razor goes to bring the ladder into the ring, and Sean hits a baseball slide that slams the ladder into Razor's ribs. Uh, Michaels picks up the ladder, hits him with it in the back, and then just throws it onto his back, which looks absolutely brutal. I feel like every spot in this match looks ten times more brutal than it does when they do the same spots in other matches. And I don't know if that's just because – I think it's partially because this is the first time that they'd ever done it. But also because these guys don't really know how to take these bumps yet. 
Yeah. So like they're just taking them. Like Razor's getting hit with this ladder a lot. And there's no gimmick to that ladder. It's got to be a real ladder to hold their weight when they climb. I mean, this ladder gets fucked up over the course of the match. Oh, I was actually, like, even watching it knowing how it goes, I was concerned at the end because the way the ladder gets fucked up, I'm like, are they going to be able to climb this thing? Well, I always get confused whether it's the first or the second. It's the second one at SummerSlam where the ladder breaks and they have to bring in a second one. I'm not sure they even had a second ladder to bring. Yeah. Like, what do you do if the ladder breaks? That would be a tough break. I mean, you just like, oh, shit, uh, bring three dudes up here and Sean will climb them. I, if the ladder completely splits, there's nothing you can do. I think you might have just had the referee hold it, which he did it, after the match when Razor poses. Hebner holds it in place for him. That's smart. Yeah. Um, Sean sets up the ladder and climbs, gets his Tights pulled down, which is a standard spot in every Shawn Michaels match in this era. My favorite one. <laughs> he kicks Razor off the ladder and then hits an elbow drop off the ladder. He follows that up with a splash from the top of the ladder. And this is where I noticed the crowd isn't really popping for these spots. I think they're just kind of stunned. Yeah, the splash off the ladder is one of the most legendary spots in wrestling history. Yeah. But you, it's not really remembered. It's not really how that was taken at the time. But it's not like the silence of like a crowd that doesn't care where there's like that murmur. Like, like it's just silence. Like people are just like staring at this, like not sure how to react. Sean goes to climb for the title. He gets pushed off and he bounces off the top rope. Both guys are down. Sean makes it to his feet first. He leans the ladder against the turnbuckle, tries to whip Razor into it, but Razor reverses. Sean hits the ladder and Flair flips out to the floor. Razor brings the ladder to the floor and hits Michaels with it. Razor climbs. Sean hits him with an axe handle off the top rope to knock him off. Is that um, the one where the ladder lands on Michaels afterwards? That's a, that's a minute after this when okay. he does the missile drop kick. Yeah, that was bad. It's um, ugly. Both guys climb and fight at the top of the ladder. Razor knocks Sean off, but the ladder collapses, and now it's all bent up and mangled. Yeah. Razor climbs again. Sean drop kicks the ladder, and Razor goes off, and the ladder just falls onto Michaels, which I don't think it was supposed to do. I couldn't figure out like how he got under it, like, like just like the way that it works out. It's ugly looking though, man. It's not, ugh. not good. No. Sean scores with a crescent kick, which is not yet called sweet chin music. Then he hits a nasty pile driver. Sean Michaels had one of the best pile drivers of all time. I genuinely thought that he was going for the razor's edge there. Me too. So did the commentators. Yeah, he literally like does the razor's edge thing, and I'm like, he can't get him no, up. Can he? I don't think so. Dude, there's no way. Razor, uh, Scott Hall is a big, big dude. And, like, Scott Hall can't even do the fucking Razor's Edge half the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sean goes to the top and rides the ladder down onto Razor. Sean goes to climb. He gets pushed off. He gets crotched on the top rope, and he does this awesome thing where he gets his leg caught in the rope, and he can't get out, and he's like flailing upside down trying to get himself loose and like 
this is the first time anyone does the ladder crotch spot and it's the best ladder spot in pretty much every ladder match for me like i love this spot dearly with all my heart razor climbs the ladder slowly slowly he gets the belts razor wins gigantic pop just an incredible match probably the best match in wwf history to this point and like the pop at the end is almost like all of like everyone just finally comes like to it because for like the last two minutes of the match like the crowd finally starts to make noise and it's just like all of this like emotion like what we just saw was so fucking cool yay because <laughs> razor wasn't that over when he came out no but he's made at the end of this oh it's an explosion it's amazing <clears throat> uh Great image as Razor poses at the top. of When he pulled the belts off, he fell off the ladder, which is a great way to end it. And then after the match, he goes up to the top and poses with the two belts, which is awesome. I would actually say that of all the bumps that anyone takes in this match, the worst <laughs> one is the one that Razor takes when he grabs the belt and just goes straight down into the ground. Yeah, that didn't look fun. Yeah. And I mean, like guys like Razor really even to this day, haven't been in a lot of ladder matches. Like, Kane's done a couple. I think, like, Big Show did one with the reinforced ladders. But, like, Razor's taking bumps here like no big guys take. Yeah. It's awesome. It seems like this would be the start of a huge run with this belt for Razor, but he ends up losing it to Diesel on Superstars a couple weeks after this. And if that's what you do so you can move Razor to the main event, okay. But... but that's not what they do. No. Instead, Razor wins back the Intercontinental title from Diesel at SummerSlam. And just for the rest of his run in the company, he's always the Intercontinental champion. Uh, such a disappointment. Like, he's the guy, he's the answer to the question who should they have been looking at other than who they did? Like, Razor's right there. Then backstage, we see IRS, Jeff Jarrett, Rick Martell, and the Head Shrinkers arguing. Vince announces that their scheduled match against one, two, three kid, Bob Holly, Tatanka and the smoking guns won't be happening. Um, the latter match, I think definitely ran longer than it was supposed to. And they just didn't have time for it. I mean, like, do you miss that? I mean, it's like, no, not at all for you guys, but come on now. <laughs> yeah. Who cares? I think that match ended up happening on raw instead. Who cares? I wonder how much before this, that happened frequently like i can't really remember an example from before sean michaels where guys were just taking way more time than they were supposed to on big shows but like yeah. it, that kind of follows michaels throughout his whole career i know they cut a match from the SummerSlam 92 broadcast that was the taped show uh they cut something i think they cut the repo man no not the repo man match they cut they cut one of the match. they cut tatanka i think just because the main event lasted so long yeah, I don't know whether I assume it was probably yeah that the show went over time. But like that just becomes like a hallmark of Michaels' career is every WrestleMania. His I'm gonna long. I'm gonna go as long as I fucking want, and you tell me to stop. Like you don't know this is the best match you're gonna get. I think Br Brett would do it sometimes too, and him and I would may have gone a little long too. Like good. Like these are two of the greatest yeah. matches in the history of the company. They both could have gone longer. I wouldn't have had any problem with that. Oh, no, they stole time from all the shit matches. Oh, that's horrible. Oh, we go back to the Clinton impersonator one last time. Uh. 
Ted DiBiase makes a cameo to talk business with him. You know what? If I were those guys in the six man that got cut or the ten man or whatever it was, like I wouldn't be mad at Michaels and Razor or Brett Nolan. I'd be furious about these five minute segments with the fake Bill Clinton. Then we get the main event video packages. Uh, first, we get a Bret Hart package that has um, like home movies of him wrestling in the dungeon and then highlights of his career up to and including the match against Owen. And then they go right to a really like ominous Yokozuna video package showing his path of destruction. Uh, celebrities for the main event, we've got Jenny Garth from Beverly Hills 90210 as the timekeeper and Burt Reynolds as the guest ring announcer. Now, we kind of, I kind of made fun of Donnie Wahlberg earlier, but when Donnie actually had to do the ring announcing, he did an okay job. Like, they're reading off of cards. Burt Reynolds does not give a shit about what they've handed him to read. And at one point he hands it back to the guy. <laughs> he does not know who these people are. He does not care. Um, now we get the reveal of the guest referee for the main event. It's Rowdy Roddy Piper. He gets a gigantic reaction. You know, as much as like maybe they should, they did suggest Hogan, Thank God it was Piper, because how awesome is this? It's Big Pop. I think Hogan would have been wild in the garden, too. Yeah, but I mean, how long has it been since Piper was really there? Um, It's been a while. 92? And like yeah, he's in real shape? Yeah, I mean, 92, we had the match with Brett, and then he had the surprise appearance at SummerSlam where he played the bagpipes. But yeah, he's been gone for... Yeah, two years at this point. It's great to see him. Uh, Yoko is out first with Fuji and Cornette backing him up. And then Brett limps to the ring. He's immediately jumped by Yoko as he comes through the ropes. Yoko misses a splash. Uh, Brett is able to mount some offense. He headbutts Yoko and they both go down. Uh, Brett covers Yoko and Cornette pulls Piper out of the ring. So Piper just knocks Cornette the fuck out, and Cornette takes the best bump of the match. Loved it. Yoko misses a corner charge, and Brett hits a bulldog from the second rope. Brett follows that up with the heart attack clothesline. Um, Brett comes off the top, gets caught with a massive belly-to-belly suplex by Yoko. Yoko drags him to the corner, sets up for the bonsai drop, but he slips off the ropes and hits his head on the mat. Brett is able to make the cover and get the one, two, three. That was a really strange finish. It really was. Like, I don't know if they were just afraid to put Brett over clean or what the case was. Yoko's but it's gone after this. Like, this yeah. is it. it. It's just, it's bizarre that they didn't want to, like, make it more... Just tap him out to the sharpshooter, right? Or like Brett is the master at coming up with cool pinning combinations. Yeah. You know he could have come up with something here. The victory roll was practically a second finisher. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. And maybe it would have been kind of poetic if he had actually gotten the victory roll after he had been caught in it in the in the opener. Absolutely. Like th- there's stuff you could have done here. And they just it. I know it was to protect Yoko. I'm sure they were thinking like, all right, return match. You know what I mean? But it's just, it doesn't really work out like that. 
Um, huge pop for Brett winning. I think vind- vindicating him is the decision for the top guy. Oh, yeah. And, like, the moment at the end, too. Like, okay, here's the best moment of the entire show, yeah. right? Let me paint you a word picture. So people come into the ring. Like, first, Brett turns around, the camera zooms out, and Lex is standing in the ring. And, like, you think, like, oh, is Lex going to attack him? Instead, he shakes his hand and raises his arm, and that's the by far the most boring way to go with this because he should have just jumped him and beat his ass into the ground. He. It looked like he wanted to. Like, it literally did. You know, in his mind, he's like, God, this fucking shithead. You know, this is supposed to be my push, my moment, my title. Not only does he get what was supposed to be mine, but I've got to put him over now. Yeah. I've got to shake his hand and raise his arm and say, no, I'm not the guy. This is the guy. How shitty is that? And then, like, baby faces just start charging into the ring and, like, waving his hand around. Razor and Lex lift Brett onto their shoulders. Savage is, like, running all around, pointing at Brett, being like, yeah, that's the guy. I'm proud of you, brother. Yeah. But then the most beautiful moment is they're carrying Brett around the ring, surrounded by baby faces. The crowd's clapping. They're having a great time with it. And then it pans to, like, the back of Owen Hart as he walks out into the aisleway, and he stares at Brett. And slowly, all the baby faces start to notice that Owen's there. Randy Savage holds open the ropes for Owen and says, come on, man, come and celebrate your brother. Brett looks at him with trepidation, and is just like, are are you going to come in? Like, come on. And Owen just stands there. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't curse. He doesn't yell. He doesn't attack anybody. He just stares at Brett with seething hatred. Yeah. Just, again, years and years of resentment and jealousy. And he finally beat him. He finally proved he was better than his brother. But fucking Brett goes and wins the world title. So nobody will remember that Owen beat him. All his fucking spotlight. Again. Genius. The perfect ending to this part of their story. Yeah. You have to continue that story. Yeah. An amazing sequel hook. Yeah. Just Absolutely. smash the credits. That's amazing. <sighs> they do nothing with it. <laughs> One other little thing I love is as all the baby faces are flooding the ring, Vince is just like, and I'm gonna get in there too. And you hear him <laughs> drop his headset and he jumps into the ring. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, and I don't know if that was part of the plan or if he just got caught up in the moment. And when we don't know as fans at that point really that Vince is in charge, like they've never really acknowledged it. Yeah, but if anybody, the the Garden fans know, right? And like, ha- even more than Savage, even more than Luger, even more than anybody, the putting over of Bret Hart is Vince getting into the ring to celebrate because Vince knows that this is the guy, and that's how you know this is the guy. <laughs> And an interesting piece of backstory that, again, I learned from Bret Hart's book, which I reference all the time on these podcasts. It's a great book. If you've never read it, I would 100% recommend it. Yeah. Um, after the show, Bret goes back to the hotel with his wife. They end up getting into a fight that night, and she tells him she wants a divorce. Man. Holy so, yeah. shit. He won the world title. He reached the pinnacle of his profession. And all it cost him was everything he had in his life. Which is one way to put the fact that she wanted a divorce because he was cheating on her with every woman on earth. Yeah. That whole thing, you know, it's glossed over. 
So yeah, that is WrestleMania 10. You know, quite possibly the best WrestleMania to this point. I would certainly listen to arguments for three. I'm a big fan of eight, but you know, a really strong show with two incredible matches and you know a great moment there at the end with Brett's celebration. I feel like what we kept mentioning again and again and again as we went through the WrestleManias last year was when is they when are they going to commit to a new era? Like it all the future seems so dire after like the last four WrestleManias. It just didn't seem like there was anywhere to go. Here at last, it seems like there's a future in yes. front of you where Brett is the guy, Sean and Razor are there. You have the bodies. You have Owen, you have Yokozuna, you have Luger in the background. You finally have a group of studs who are new and fresh that you can run with. Yeah. It seems like there's a future open in front of you. Too bad they fuck it up. They fuck it up hard. Oh, man. We're going to cover that next week with WrestleMania 11. Oh, my God. From New York City up to Hartford, Connecticut for the next one. And the main event is a match that maybe only I and all the wrestling world enjoyed. <laughs> An inexplicable main event as Lawrence Taylor faces off against Bam Bam Bigelow. We're going to do an hour just on how the hell they got to that. <laughs> I, The fact that they pull that match off is insane. Like literally unprecedented in the history of wrestling is the fact that that match takes place. <laughs> it's nuts. Also, we finally get to talk about Diesel's title run. You know, one of the kind of big what-ifs in wrestling history is what if Diesel actually gets over as champion and the ripple effects from that. Yeah, and what exactly it is that prevented him from getting over, that is 100% their fault and not his. Yeah, so Diesel defends against Shawn Michaels. And also what Bret Hart would call the worst match of his career against Bob Backlund. And that's an understatement. He's being generous. Ooh, all that and more next time with WrestleMania 11. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week.